Good morning. Let's uh, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for your spirit within us. Pray, Father, that you would speak to us at our places of need, and that uh, you would grow us, mature us, accomplish your kingdom purposes in us and through us. Ask your blessings on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. When John uh, texted me on Thursday and said, uh, would it be possible for you to speak on Sunday? I felt like I needed a little more time. I texted back and said, uh, I, I don't know. I, there's some things stirring, but uh, I prayed about it and, and decided, okay, now's the time. I'm, I'm excited about this time. I really, really am excited about it. And um, I want to do something I rarely do, and that is I want to recommend a book to you. The name of the book is, What If It's True? The subtitle is A Storyteller's Journey with Jesus. And it's written by uh, Charles Martin, who's written a lot of fiction. I've uh, read a lot of his books. Let me just read to you out of the introduction for just just to open up, because um, I'm going to read a description about a person toward the end, and then comment on that. So what if every single word of the Bible is absolutely true and I can trust it? What if Jesus really is who he says he is? And if his word is true, how do I respond? Something in me should change, but what? Because this story is true, then the king of all kings stepped off his throne, embarked on a rescue mission to save and deliver a self-centered slave like me. What kind of king does that? What if the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the singular most important event in the history of mankind? What if... Dead and crucified, Jesus came back to life by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's alive today. What if, having conquered the enemy, he empowers us to do what he did? Anointing us with defense against evil, against addiction, against sickness, against generational curses and sins, against the hardness of our own heart. What if his singular desire is for us to know the love with which the Father loved him before the foundation of the world? What if his story is true? What if this Jesus is alive in you and in me? I write this before living, and that's either the craziest thing I've ever heard of, or it's the most important word ever spoken. Jesus said some things that struck listeners as crazy. And when men heard what he said, they turned and walked away. But if Jesus is who he says he is, then his life and his words demand a response. And no response is still very much a response. The appearance of a baby in a nameless stable in Bethlehem 
is our first clue that the problem is out of control. He came to us to save us from ourselves. The reason the King of Kings stepped off his throne and came here is my sin, your sin, and our utter, complete inability to do anything about it. In God's economy, sin requires a payment. Sin requires blood. I can't explain that just the way it is. I'm blood-bought, blood-washed, and blood-redeemed, and you are too. And I know me. I'm not worthy. Now, he writes a long sentence, so like Paul would write in, in one of his books. And I want to read it to you. He says, if you are down, broken, broken-hearted, shattered, bleeding from the inside out, staring at a lifetime of bad decisions, and now the bars of worse consequences, ashamed, struggling with getting out of bed and facing today, or, or even facing the next minute, thinking more about checking out than digging in, angry, really angry, shaking your fist at God, Screaming at the heavens, staring at your hands, knowing what you've done, and wondering how God could ever love you. Unable to breathe from the weight of the wound in your chest, mopping up the pus, spilling out of your heart because you trusted someone. Sitting with your head in your hands, watching the slideshow of all the faces who betrayed you, who, who, who no longer trust you, who you betrayed and who no longer trust you, and wondering where to start. Searching the horizon for any side of your prodigal, but they aren't even in this time zone. Waking up a long way from home, wondering how to get back, and unable or unsure how to face the mushroom cloud you left behind. Covered up in soul-wrenching grief, in spirit-breaking sorrow, unable to see daylight for the blanket of the darkness, and unable to get off the unmerry ground and stop the cycle of medicating your pain with drugs or drink or sex or money or anything other than the tender and magnificent love of Jesus, then I'd give you this book. I wanted to read that to you because I know a person just like that. They're trapped. And uh, I thought about giving her me, you know, to try to help her. But that really, I'm not sure it would be appropriate. Uh, better yet, I would rather her know my wife. Because, you know, uh, ladies understand ladies far more than men do. You, can, you might want to write that down. <laughs> and there's nobody I know that could love her more authentically than my wife. I'd like to uh, give her a church that I knew would deny themselves and not be religious and just love her. But I don't know one. I have a Bible study on Wednesday mornings. It's, it's the highlight of my week. Uh, I lead it 
But I try not to talk too much. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I pray each week that the Lord would draw the men that He wants there, that He would move in our midst, that He would give us ears to hear what we need to hear at this stage in our walk with Him. And I ask Him to speak through the men that He, he is strong. And I listen. And I've grown tremendously from our time together. One of my favorite quotes from the early church fathers is that the glory of God is man fully alive. Recently, one of the men said he doesn't agree with that. I love it when people don't agree with me. I really do. He says, I think it ought to be that the glory of God is the church fully alive. And I would, I would agree with that, although probably both are true. You've got to have a church full of people that are fully alive to have a church that's going to be fully alive. And I would add another one. That the glory of God is a marriage that's fully alive. Bonnie had surgery recently. She's been going to physical therapy. And she shared with me this last week about going to physical therapy. And here was this elderly couple. I mean, elderly means a lot older than us. Okay? (laughs) Some people look at me and say, man, you're an elderly couple. No, 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 no. Elderly is older, a lot older than us. Um, But, I mean, in their, I I, I better not put a name on it because I'm not going to be talking about you, but but a lot older than us. You know? And and one of them, I think it was the lady was walking in with a walker, and here was her husband. And, and she told me, she said, the man was so tender with his wife. And they talked to each other in such a tender, loving way that it was just glorious. That speaks volumes. So if I were in my men's group... I would ask the men these questions. The glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is a marriage fully alive. The glory of God is the church fully alive. What does that look like? Tell me what that looks like. How do we get there? Have you ever experienced this personally? Are you experiencing this in your marriage? Have you ever experienced it in a church? If so, tell us about it. Then I'd just be quiet. Now, the reason I was drawing this book is because I've read almost uh, all of his books of fiction, and I'm, I'm reading a new one right now. And I learned them out because I think they really have life in them. Uh, I'm not going to read anything that don't have life. Life's too short. I'm getting too old. And uh, and as I read, as I read the introduction to this book, Charles Martin addressed the root problem for all of us, and that is that we need to be saved. We need to be delivered. We need to be rescued from ourselves. We're self-centered. Jesus spoke 
about the kingdom of God more than any other subject, but most of us live in our own little kingdoms. And we may not even know it. And some of the worst are religious kingdoms. This is the gospel. And uh, I've got it written in the front of this Bible. Because right underneath it I have a paraphrase that I think makes it really clear. This is what Jesus said. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Now my paraphrase says this. All the preliminaries have been taken care of and the rule of God is, is now accessible to everyone. Review your plans for living and based your life on this remarkable opportunity. And I like that. Any chance I get to share that, I do. And I've got some others in there that I like to share too. Uh, Charles Martin acknowledged the reality that I think is essential for all of us to recognize when he said, and I don't think I read that. I've got to read that. You've got to hear this. I don't think I went far enough. I didn't. I realized it. Ooh. He said, I discovered that just filling the pew on Sunday morning did absolutely nothing to bring freedom. I'm not knocking the church. We should all be in one. I thank God for His bride. But the traditions of our churches and our theological systems are often impotent to kill the stuff that's killing us. Whoa! said, that's right. So I'm going to refer to that quote, so I might as well have shared it with you. So there it is. A little late, but there it is. Uh, When I read that, I almost shouted. Uh, I felt like someone is finally acknowledging that the emperor has no clothes. And I'm hoping maybe now, at this time in my life, as the clock's ticking, that the church at large can agree that we can't keep doing the same thing we've always done and expect different results. Last week, John and Kellen Gibson spoke to our church about their concerns for our nation. The chaos in Congress. The uh, liberal abortion policies that many states are choosing, just name a few. And they stated that we really need to pray for our nation, ask God to show us how to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Uh, in our spheres of influence. In the passage of Scripture that we call the Summer on the Mountain, Matthew 5-7, through Jesus is talking to his disciples about the kingdom of God and what it would look like through people living on earth now. And he said in Matthew 5:48, You are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. <laughs> now, uh, this was the beginning of his ministry. He had just called these men to follow him. Uh, can you imagine what they were thinking and feeling when, when he heard these words? Like, yeah, right, Jesus. 
you haven't gotten to know me very well, have you? But recently I read this verse in the message translation. And listen to how Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, in a word, this is Jesus speaking, in a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. You are kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Now that's a little easy for me to grasp. Then be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. But it raises some more questions. Am I, and that we need to ask ourselves these questions, am I living in the kingdom of God or in my own kingdom with just a little Jesus frost and put on the top? What about my identity? Is it based on what I do, what I have, what I look like, or what others think of me? Or do I know who I am as a new creation in Christ? Am I abiding in Jesus so that He lives His life through me? Would others who know me say that I live generously and graciously? Am I in intimate fellowship with the Lord, relationship with the Lord, in receiving His grace moment by moment? Am I present with Him as I'm present with people so that He can act and speak through me? Important questions. And Charles Martin states that the traditions of the church and, and the theological systems are important, or impotent to kill the uh, stuff that's killing me. Let me tell you my thoughts. I think that all too often, we put our faith in what we believe about God rather than our faith in God. Whether we realize or not, we think we figured God out in some areas and we know how He wants to work. Whether we realize or not, we're prideful in our beliefs and judgmental toward those who don't know what we know. Of course, we catch it in nice religious terms, bless their heart. You know, they were, they were raised Baptists. That type of stuff. I think a lot of times we, we miss the good old days of our walk with the Lord when the Spirit moved in a mist and we sensed God's presence, when we felt close to people, when church was church. And so we're praying that those days would return. And can I tell you something? The 1970s were almost 50 years ago. And they ain't coming back. It's never going to be like we remembered. This is 2019. And God is wanting to do a new thing in us and through us. We were born for such a time as this. But we must repent. We must ask Jesus to repent for us. I'm not sure I can do that myself. And we must seek what God wants to do here in this place at this time. And it's not going to look like what we expect. I'm just telling you, that's the truth. Now, I'm giving an example that happened in my own life. Of what I think is required. 
I was a hospice chaplain in Fort Myers for 19 years. That's Florida. I worked with another chaplain that didn't know the Lord. He was a former uh, Catholic priest. Very liberal in his thinking and beliefs. I would call him New Age. And uh, he kind of did his thing. I did my thing. We didn't hang out a lot because I didn't like him. One day I found out that there was a volunteer in hospice that was going into a hospice house and ministering to people. And that person was Buddhist. I uh, put a stop to that. Because I don't, I've been working for weeks with some of these people trying to bring them to a knowledge of Jesus. And, and I don't need someone spreading around a lot of darkness. So when I shared with uh, this, this fellow chaplain, name is Daniel. When I shared with him that I'd done it, he said, well, why did you do that? I said, I just told you for the same reason I just told you. And he said, well, you know, basically all roads lead to the same mountain. And I said, I don't think so. And I asked him a question. I said, then why did Jesus have to die? And he said, he didn't. And I lost it. I, for the next two hours, I started in the book of Genesis, about eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or the tree of life, and went through everything I knew with a loud, raised voice. Soon after that, now well, several months after that, there was enough complaints about Daniel that that hospice wanted to fire him. And so they made life miserable for him. They put him on probation. And he was about to have a nervous breakdown. My flesh says, great, couldn't happen sooner, soon enough. That's that judgmental, think you know it all. Attitude, just want to throw that in for you in case you didn't catch it. (laughs) But the Lord gave me compassion for him. Because he said to me one day, take him to the chapel and pray for him. And tell him to just stand firm. And I did. I was obedient. A couple months later, I'm home at night, not suspecting nothing, and the phone rings. And it was Daniel. And he said, Tommy, I just want to thank you for praying for me and for being encouragement to me. I believe I'm going to make it. And I just want you to know that I love you. I'm not comfortable with people telling me they love me. I'm not real comfortable with another man telling me he loves me. 
I'm really uncomfortable with Daniel telling me he loved me. So when I got off the phone, Bonnie says, who was that? And I said, that was Daniel. She said, what did he want? I said, he called to tell me he loved me. And I went, like, that makes me sick. Didn't suspect nothing. The next morning when I woke up, before my feet hit the floor, the Lord said, that man gave you something precious. And you treated it as common. And I want you to go to him, take him to the chapel, tell him what you do, did, and ask him to forgive you. And then ask him to pray for you. I didn't want to do that. But I did. And I wept. And it was healing for both of us. That's what I think it would take. That kind of hearing and that kind of obeying. If we're going to be the light of the world and salt of the earth. If we could hear the Lord right down on a regular basis and obey what He tells us, our lives, our marriages, our families, our church, this church, this town, this state, this nation could be impacted by the kingdom of God. It really could. I mean, I mean, it really could. The kingdom of God is reality. But it's on God's terms, not ours. Uh, Jesus told his disciples to grow up. Is that possible? It, can we become mature spiritual adults while we're here on earth? Some people don't think so. But Jesus seemed to think so. <laughs> and the Apostle Paul seemed to think so. And when I considered this subject, my mind immediately went to one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, and that's in Ephesians 4. So if, if, uh, I want to look at Ephesians 4, a few verses, and then tell you what I saw in there that has got me shook up. Not shook up. I think it set me free. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul is in prison. He wrote a lot of the New Testament in prison. He had a lot of time on his hands. And he says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat or urge or beg you to walk or live in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, I want to ask you a question. Are you clear in your thinking about what God has called you to do? And it says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. 
do you have a, a conscious list in your mind of what God's called, of, of verses that talk about God's called you to this, God's called you to this, God's called you to this, God's called you to this. Because how can you walk in a manner worthy of the calling if you don't know where you've been called to? In Ephesians 1, Paul prays for the church. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. Expectation of His calling. I rewrote this sermon about three times. And in one of them, I had a a bunch of scriptures about, I'll talk about God's calling. But we've been called freedom. We've been called to fellowship with Jesus. We've been called to peace. So Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, which tells you it has to be Jesus. Because Jesus says, come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, I give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, because I am gentle and humble in heart. That's one of my prayers a lot. Lord, I want to learn you. And it's going to look gentle. And humble of heart. With patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This whole concept of unity has always uh, attracted my attention. I'm going to skip down to verse 11. Because uh, this is a passage that when we had a church meeting, John shared that this, this is how we want to build our church. There's different gifts to the church. And he says in verse 11, I'm going to just read 11 to uh, 16. He says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. From whom, and this is part of this, this verse 16 is my, my favorite. From whom, from Jesus, the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies. In other words, where the parts come together and touch. According to the proper working of each individual part, which the glory of God is each part being fully alive, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's where it works. All right. Now we know, right? Well, when I... uh, Went to this passage, I saw something that I'd never seen before. And I've been to this passage a lot. And that's verse 13. It says, talking about the building of the body of Christ, and, and this is the goal, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. So the goal is that we're going to be like Jesus. Now, the key to unity is that all of us grow up and become mature. 
and attain the fullness of the stature of Jesus himself. But this is this is my question. Is this verse talking about us attaining faith in Christ and knowledge about Christ? Or that's what I've always thought. Or is it saying that unity comes when we attain the faith of Jesus and the knowledge of Jesus, his knowledge, his faith? Which one is it? I think it's the last one. When I when I when I uh, when I read that I, I immediately thought of another one of my favorite verses and that's uh, Ephesians I mean uh, Galatians two twenty so so uh, I went there and, and I went ahead and read and, and and so I turned to it and it read this you know I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh I live. By the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Don't let him in too quick. Because I was looking for it to say, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And that is exactly what it says. Because there's a little note there that said, you know, this also could be read. The faith of the Son of God. Whoa! All of a sudden, What? Bonnie and I, uh, I took off a day from work, and uh, we got out of the house, went to Waynesville. And she, uh, one thing Bonnie does is she, she goes on the internet for me, and she finds something that she thinks is good. She just lets me know. You know, I don't have time to do that. I, I don't know how to navigate it anyway. And uh, and then she gives me stuff to read, and, and and she had pulled down a podcast by a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. And he was talking about faith and prayer. And his, and his message was out of Mark 11, where Jesus curses the fig tree and then comes back the next day and it's all withered and gone. And people say, whoa, man, look, how, how that? And, and Jesus says, you know, most translations says, have faith in God. That's not the way uh, Dallas Willard read it. He says, he read it, have the faith of God. I looked it up in the message and it says, have God's faithfulness. All of a sudden, I'm on a mission. And, 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 and I started digging around and I found that this whole question about whether a verse is, is referring to Christ's faith or our faith it's been debated among Bible, Bible scholars for years. In Greek language in the New Testament, that construction can be translated either way. So you've got to decide. And interestingly enough, the King James Version translates many of the verses that our new translation translate. Our faith in Christ, it translates it as Jesus' faith. And I want to share some of those with you. I, 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 I was going to just give you references, but I'll read them. I, I'm not trying to watch the clock. Uh, 
And so, so let's look at some. You know it's going to be a long sermon when you bring two Bibles to church. Okay. But I don't, I don't read the King James very often. I, I, you know, I, I just don't. And uh, so the first one would be uh, Romans chapter 3. And I, and I think the one that's going to be up on the screen is verse 22. But I'm going to start with verse 20. Where, where Paul says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in God's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Verse 21. And now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by, by the faith of Jesus Christ. Unto all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference. I, I want to read you another one. Uh, Romans three twenty six. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be the just and the justifier of him that believes in Christ. And it, and, but what they're saying here is it has to do with the righteousness of Christ. Uh, Galatians 2.16. Excuse me while I turn over there. Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. See, most modern translations are going to say, by the faith in Jesus Christ. But that's not, that's not how King James wrote it. Okay, I'm not saying King James is right and everybody is wrong. I'm just saying there was a group of translators that realized a big part of our walk with the Lord has to do with the faith of Christ on our behalf. I had never seen that before. In fact, it, it, it kind of it was good. I, I don't even know where I left off. Let me go back and find it. 2.16 Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. I think we have heard that verse already, but I'm going to read it to you in the King James. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I live, not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 3.22 but the scripture has concluded all under, all under sin that the promise by, by the faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Now, I don't know if these verses are doing anything to you or not, but they got me all stirred up. I mean, uh, obviously. Uh, Ephesians three twelve.
says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. And one more. Philippians 3.9. Paul just gets through saying that he considers all his religious stuff in the past to be a cow patty. Pretty much what he says. In order that I may win Christ. And in verse 9 he says, And be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is brought through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. Now, I don't know if this sets you free or whether this gets you upset. But for me, I think there's something here. And if, if this alternative way of translating these verses is what was intended, what does that mean? I just want to share a few things that I think it means to me. It means that Christ in me is the hope of glory. And He is in me. It means, and if you need a reference for that, it's Colossians 1.27. It means that Jesus is my life. If you need a reference for that, it's Colossians 3.3. It means that of His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came into being through Christ. That's Matthew, I mean, that's John 1, 16. Is that right, Bonnie? That was a verse as I was driving to church this morning, the Lord gave me, and so I had to write it down, but I forgot to write down the address. Uh, it means that for us, there's only one God the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist. For him. And there's only one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. That's 1 Corinthians 6 8. 8 6. Sorry about that. It means that fighting the good fight of faith means taking hold of the eternal life to which you have been called. The life that really is life. That's First Timothy six twelve and nineteen. And what is eternal life? Jesus says it's knowing the only true God. Not knowing about Him, knowing Him. And Jesus Christ, whom He sent, Jesus Christ lives in us to live His life through us for His kingdom purposes here on earth. For times such as these, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that He exists and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. 
We must seek the Lord. (laughs) We've got to seek the Lord. What is He saying and doing around us? And how can I join Him? That podcast that Bonnie had us listen to, I mean, it's not one of those. It used to be in the early days of her marriage, she'd say, I want to listen to this tape. I'll go, oh, great. And one of those religious tapes. Man, I just hold on to every word now, you know. Uh, but Dallas Willard says something that I like. So I said, back it up. I want to hear that again. And he said, let me give you my definition of prayer. He said, prayer is communication with God about the things you and Him are doing together. And he said, a lot of people don't pray because them and God aren't doing much together. I said, read it one more time or say it one more time. Prayer is communicating with God about the things you and Him are doing together. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you.